Welcome to UBU Pod. Here you'll meet incredible people who tell us about their rich and interesting lives, of being visible, of working through challenges, and of coming out the other side. There's so much power in people's stories, and as a curious person, I love finding out how people tick. I'm your host, Megan Hamilton. I'm a speaking, visibility, and confidence coach, and I help you be you. Welcome to UBU Pod. I am absolutely stoked to have Samantha Nolan-Smith of the School of Visibility here. If you've been following me at all for any amount of time, you will know that I refer back to School of Visibility often, and there's lots of reasons for that, which we will get into today. Samantha Nolan-Smith is the founder and CEO of the School of Visibility. The school supports women to recognize their own worth and feel confident in sharing their unique perspective with the world and promote their work and establish themselves as leader, leaders excuse me, in their industry. You can find out more about the School of Visibility at www.theschoolofvisibility.com. Welcome, Samantha. Thank you for having me, Megan. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Oh, I am very excited. <laughs> so I wanted to tell you, I, I went back into my notes and uh, just to see date-wise, if, if, if my memory was serving me right. And so somewhere in early 2019, I got you know a promoted ad going through my stories or something like that. And it was School of Visibility. And it was one of those ones where it just hit so perfectly. And so I don't know if you were doing your own marketing or somebody else was helping you with keywords and things like that. But like that one just, it, it was like, yes, I am definitely following this. And so I would get your posts and probably like and comment on every single one. And then I don't, what I don't remember is what made me click through to your website, but I did. And so by this point, I was already like, really into everything, really agreeing with everything you said, really inspired. And at the time I was focusing more on public speaking just sort of on its own. And I went to the website and I started messing around, looking at things. And all of a sudden I looked at, I, I, it must've been courses and it was reclamation, the power of, of the witch. Mm -hmm. And I went, holy shit, are you kidding me? Because until that point, nothing that I had seen had given me this sort of like very aligned with what I was into spiritual side. And, the, and, and then I was just like, I think I bought that course in under a minute. I was like, <laughs> yes. And then, and, and yes. And it was so, it was the, it, I learned about um, tapping through that course. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't experienced that before. Uh, I had a couple of really incredible in inner journeys. I'm one of those people who, sorry, I'm talking, I'm, I haven't even given you a chance to talk. I'm one of those people who I don't, um, visualize well with my eyes closed, but I did with oh, when nice. I was doing some of the exercises. Yeah. It was really powerful. And, uh, and just, I've just been a huge fan right from the start. And one of the things that I was curious about was in terms of your spiritual side, or especially your interest in witches, is that, was that something at the time? How can I say this? It took me a long time to embrace that in terms of what I was putting out there for my business because I was afraid of being too woo or something. But then what the weird thing was that every single time there was somebody that I enjoyed following, as soon as you know they'd have this like, this is what my desk looks like, and there'd be a crystal by their computer, and I'd be like, yes, I need to go. <laughs> Now, now I need to go and buy your courses. And it was, it, you know, it was the same with you. And it was the same for a few different people. And, and I, I you know, it's, I think it's a lot more popular now, but can you tell me about, you know, in terms of your visibility journey, how did that all work out for you? Yes, it, uh, I resonate with everything that you just said. I feel <laughs> like 
It took a long time to claim that label of witch in the sense that I don't uh, I don't follow pagan practices or I don't or not certainly not consciously anyway maybe sometimes I find that I'm doing things through intuitive guidance that mm-hmm. end up being very aligned <laughs> with with different practices in the world but I really where that came about was from doing the work on on understanding how the feminine and women have been shamed and labelled in certain ways to diminish voices, to suppress wisdom, to maintain power, Mm. for some people to maintain power and others to not, not be able to access it. And when I started to, to progress through my understanding of that and drop all of the baggage that came with that, I came to a point where I thought I'm proud to use the label of witch. I feel like this is a legacy that all women can draw on to reconnect with what I would call it is the opposite of the good girl. So some of the work that I do Uh, at the School uh of Visibility is about the good girl and about Uh our conditioning and about how we're, we're trained to be compliant and accommodating and nice and, and so on and so forth. And the witch is almost the antithesis of that. She's like the wild woman. She's the woman who isn't afraid to claim power and power doesn't, look to her hierarchical and it doesn't look to her as something that she uses to dominate others but is actually something that's connected to the environment connected to nature an expression of authentic authentic self an expression of soul power and when you think about the good girl and the witch which would you rather be I mean (laughs) I would every day of the week Mm -hmm. prefer to be the witch But there's something else that you spoke of, and I think this is really important in the context of spirituality and visibility. And that is, for me, I started sort of in a much more traditional career. I was a lawyer and I then went into the public sector and did a lot of work in public policy. And that was a very sort of much more traditional career path. And I loved everything about that. And there were lots of social justice elements and I loved every minute of it and at the same time I had lots of personal wounds and pain that had not been resolved from personal experiences in my life and so whilst my career felt good and fulfilling I was not completely happy in myself I felt Mm -hmm not fully in my body because my body felt unsafe. I felt not fully present because there was this anxiety and depression and so forth, like rolling around in my body all of the time. And so whilst I was pursuing one career on the side, I was doing lots of things in the realm of spirituality and personal development, trying to get happy. And that was my whole goal for a long time it was just I just want to be happy that's all I really want in life is to feel happy and not in every moment but but that was at a time in my life where there was a lot of unhappiness that was being masked by all sorts of other behavior and activities so these two things were kind of going along side by side without any interaction between them necessarily so I would step mm-hmm. into a yoga mm-hmm. class Interesting. Then I would step into a meeting, you know, and I would go back and forth and back and forth. And it wasn't really until a point in time at which I became quite sick with chronic fatigue that I then for the next four years was was very ill, spent a lot of time in bed, didn't, didn't do a lot of anything. And that was the point at which I call that my apprenticeship in the feminine and it really Mm -hmm. taught me to stop to slow down to listen to really come to peace with my body and all of the 
things that I had avoided that were sitting in my body that needed me to face and to look at and to befriend and forgive and heal and, and so on and so forth. And so then when I, that period of my life led me to start working online because I really got to the point where physically I could not get up, get dressed, go to a regular job. By the time I would get to the job, I would be exhausted. Like the chronic fatigue just would not Mm. let me. I couldn't, in the end, I was working my very final sort of traditional role was at the British Refugee Council in London and they medically retired me in the end. They just said, my boss said to me, you just aren't well enough to work. And I cried to her and I said, don't take my career from me. Please don't take my career. Because it was my whole identity. I loved my work so much. And Mm -hmm. that was a real turning point. I had to go home and I thought, okay, I've I've really got two options at this point. I can either I can either like pursue disability support and that's that's going to be my life and I don't know what I'll do because I'm sleeping most of the time anyway so is this going to be my life maybe or I had started reading blogs and I thought this is 2008 and I thought Mm -hmm. hmm what is this blogging thing (laughs) so I started looking there and I thought well I could blog for an hour and then sleep for a few hours and then maybe spend another hour each day building a website and then sleep for the rest of the day. And and that's how I started working online. But the spiritual element came in the sense that I thought, what am I going to teach online? Because all the skills that I had learned uh, through through the law and through uh, social justice and so on and so forth, I could not quite work out how to put those into the online space at that time. So I thought I'm going to teach everything, this whole healing journey that I've been on for the last, Mm -hmm. and really I had been doing personal development work of one sort or the other since I was 15. And by this time I was 35. So I had a lot of years. I had trained in many modalities by that point. Again, none of them thinking I would ever do a career to make a career out of it. I just kept doing them for myself. (laughs) And because I just wanted to go deeper and deeper with the work. And I thought, but I think maybe somebody will be interested in this. Maybe there'll be just a few people who'll be interested in doing some inner work that's that will help them to get happy and help them to get onto their life purpose and, and so on. And so that's what I started doing. And I did that for quite a few years until I discovered so many of the women who were coming to work with me they were really fully in the, they jumped two feet into doing spiritual work and doing personal development work and doing all of that. But the minute that I said to them, and now what about going out and sharing that with the world? They became really terrified. They really were like, oh no, oh no. And so that was the point. It's a long story to say that was the moment at which I realized there's something very important about the spiritual journey and visibility or the personal development journey and visibility. And you can go along your whole life very confident and being able to be visible in some realms. But when it really touches that personal, that real expression of self, that soul expression, you might even say, visibility becomes an issue for many people because it's so personal and because it's often speaking up about things that sound different or are more vulnerable, expose you more. And that's when all the visibility fears come up. And so this was my realization. And I think that all women who in any way connect with anything you said from crystals to witchiness to uh, everything in between tarot, the whole realm, we have quite a blanket over us and, And there's a very good reason for that. I mean, we were burned for 400 years to silence us. Yeah, (laughs) and and still are. There's still women around the world who are being executed uh, for being witches. Exactly. Which is just boggling. I mean, sort of boggling. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, distressing on every level, right? It's just, it's it's Mm -hmm. horrific. And, And so the silencing and the invisibility is not an accident. 
It's the consequence mm-hmm. of deliberate behavior. And that's when I became very interested in working out, well, what is, I'd done all this personal development by which I mean very personal to me. Mm-hmm. And I had learned a lot of stuff about how to heal individual wounds. But at that point, I became very, very interested in what about collective wounds? What about conditioning that is that that relates to an entire group of people, whether that be women, whether that be people of colour, whether that be people with disabilities, whatever it might be. And what is that doing to people's voices? And what is that doing to people's level of comfort around being visible? And, and there is a spectrum there, of course, because sometimes you can be visible as a person of a minority group or a marginalized community and you become visible and it becomes absolutely deadly and so black men in America know all about this Mm -hmm. they know what it is to walk out onto the street and not know whether they may or may not get home because they might get pulled over by a police officer and something horrible might happen so there's that spectrum of visibility. and then, But then it goes all the way to, well, how come I now can walk down the street? I'm a white woman. I can walk down the street even when I'm not being harassed, which ha- has happened many, many times in my life, not being harassed, not being catcalled. It's not dark. I don't feel like I'm about to be attacked and killed. And still I can feel nervous. I can feel stressed, I can feel anxious. What is that? And I started to dive into that more in those moments where I'm ostensibly safe. There's all these other things going on when the moments when I haven't been safe or some other woman hasn't been safe, I'm still carrying all of that as well. And that became very interesting to me, how that imprisons us and silences us and keeps us small because of the possibility of being harmed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, this is where our work aligns. I mean, I think it aligns in a lot of ways too, but um, for me, it's, it's the practical things to learn for how to actually speak, right? Because we get, you know, we it's explained to us where everything's coming from. Uh, and I reference this book all the time, but have you read Mary Beard's book, Women in Power? I have. Yeah. I have, yeah. I have two copies for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can never have enough. Uh, I am sure one day the absolute right person will come along who needs to read it and you'll be like, here we go. Uh, so, you know, even back thousands of years, we're dealing with that, with written history, talking about women's voices being screechy and shrill and us not having the same sort of um, mental faculties as men. And then, you know, fast forward to the witch trials um, and even just the stuff that we know about and the sort of controlling and then the generational learning of women trying to keep their babies safe. Right. And so be quiet, you know, don't speak up or, you know, oh, we can't do that. And all, you know, it it all comes from a sense of safety. And so even now when we're in, you know, uh, and again, I'm speaking about um, North America, um, Europe, Australia, places where white women, you know, um, are more safe, I guess, uh, but we still have those same fears and we still wouldn't feel comfortable necessarily saying, oh, I, yeah, I identify as a witch or we might later, but it takes a while to get there. You know, it's sort of usually it, it's this sort of secret thing that you do that you don't want to talk about A, because you don't really know how people are going to take it, but B, there's also, you know, there's something sort of um, like secretly rebellious, right? About uh, looking into things that are not societally comfortable or um, what, you know, what the patriarchy might deem to be sort of an okay thing to look at. Uh, And then slowly as you start to 
feel more comfortable talking about it. You find your people, right? Because if it's this thing that you're sort of doing, and I, I was curious actually to know if once you were starting to dive into this side of yourself, if you talked about it at the office, right? That is such a good question. What I found was what I would do is I would speak about yoga. Everybody knew that I would teach yoga in the evening. And one evening, right. I was teaching yoga. Yoga's so acceptable, then, right? Yoga's <laughs> acceptable. Yeah, it, 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 it was getting acceptable. This, you know, uh, it was, so this was sort of early 2000s. And I, and I would do little things. So I would burn essential oils in the, in my office, just in my, in my office, because I had an office with a door and so forth. Uh, so I wasn't interfering with anybody else. But what I would do is I would think about what did I have going on that day? What meetings did I have? Because I had a little um, table and chairs and so forth in my office. So often I would hold meetings physically in that space, which meant I could prepare the space without anybody knowing that I was preparing the space. So to right, so, right, yeah. right. So yeah. I, would, I would think about, oh, is that going to be a um, potentially contentious meeting? And so if it was, I would burn certain oils. And then if it was something where I needed to pick everybody up and get ideas going, I would burn other oils. But then the other thing that I would do, which I did very quietly, was I would play at a very low level chanting music in my office to keep the space really energetically really clean and keep clearing out anything else that was going on at that time I was working in an office and we were certainly over maybe 60 percent uh, Aboriginal uh, people and Aboriginal people from around different parts of Australia but primarily New South Wales where I lived and then um, about 40% non-Indigenous people. And so lots of everything we were doing every day would potentially trigger wounding because that's the nature of advocacy in some respects is that you often feel called to speak about those things that somehow have, have affected you or in some way uh, something that you've had a lived experience around. And that's a wonderful thing because it grounds the advocacy, but it's also potentially very wounding or re-wounding or triggering. And at that time, I don't even think we had the language of triggering. So we didn't yeah. really know what that was. And so lots of people were um, having to carry wounding around as they were trying to advocate at the same time. It was a it was sometimes very emotionally heavy, particularly for uh, the Aboriginal people who were working there. The non-Aboriginal people obviously had uh, race privilege and hadn't had the same types of woundings. And so we, so I was always really conscious of holding space for all these meetings that might potentially trigger people when we're talking about, because we would get all sorts of situations, really terrible situations in communities and how are we going to deal with those? And sometimes that would be a cousin or an aunt or an uncle that was in that community. And so there was immediate, you know, familial um, concern going on as well as we have to deal with this situation. And then we would have horrible racist people calling in and, you know, wanting to argue with us or fight about it, fight with us about the perceived privileges that Indigenous people in Australia were getting. I don't know what they actually thought they were, but anyway. Uh, we have, so we have similar, <laughs> similar discussions, discussions, I don't know, similar, <laughs> similar thinking here in Canada as well. Mm -hmm. I know, I know. It, it, yeah. is, it really does. <laughs> the, uh, our receptionist would often say, she said, we would, we would all actually end up laughing about it because she'd say, oh, I got another one of those people call in and go, um, I've just found out that I have a, a distant relative who's an Aboriginal woman or man and, uh, or person, and I want to know what benefits I get. <laughs> and she said, <laughs> and she would answer with, well, your life expectancy has just dropped. You're probably going to end up with diabetes. I don't know how your children are going to go at school because educational outcomes aren't so great for us. 
black fellas and blah, 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 blah. And we would all just think that's really, how else can you respond? <laughs> I mean, how mm-hmm. else at this point can you respond other than, you know, she was very, she's, she's a wonderful human being, very funny and whatever. And so she would just deal with it in that manner. But back to the point of, so this is a heightened environment in lots of ways. And so I would always think, how do I create a space which feels safe for everybody? And, and so that would be why I would sort of keep some very low chant music going on where it wasn't audible. And obviously I'd turn it off when the actual meetings were taking place, but when, when no meetings were on, that was sort of keeping the space nice and clean. I was using the oils and I was just then using some of the skills around deep listening and integrating things in that manner rather than by coming through with a philosophy or an ideology that wasn't appropriate anyway, wasn't culturally appropriate and and wasn't invited or asked for. So it was more about the space holding and understanding how to do that and giving people a place uh, to feel heard and seen and a lot of my skills in that regard is very deeply embedded in my spirituality and in my approach to everything around personal development is the healing power of seeing other people and being seen and the healing power of Mm. hearing and being heard and really I learned that from Aboriginal communities in New South Wales where I would go to community and when I was first very, very green, didn't really know what I was doing, had, had done, uh, had done, you know, work at university and so forth, but had, hadn't really had the benefit of being in community and talking to people and understanding different cultural practices and different ways of doing things and had been brought up in a very sort of up to that point, white corporate kind of environment. Mm. And I very quickly was disabused of that way of doing things (laughs) and was told very, very quickly that there was more value in listening than speaking. And so that lesson was one of my first, you know, that wasn't a lesson that came from a spiritual teacher per se. It came from a community member who just sat me down one day with a cup of tea and said, you know, we, we, this was kind of, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along these lines, you know, we black fellas, we really value listening. We think that, um, (laughs) so kind. (laughs) Oh, when I look back on all of the horrible unconscious things that I did, Uh, I was almost at every turn, I was met with kindness and, I think that's breathtaking in its what it says about humanity or particularly about Aboriginal people uh, and the humanity and just grace of people who can still in the face of such mm. offensive behaviour just choose to teach rather than attack or there's so many other ways they might have responded and yet what they did was they would invariably every single time stop hold space for me and then teach me that was everything yeah it's you're right it is and it reminds me of something that I haven't I haven't it's it's in the back of my head is something I really want to explore It's the idea of debate as a communication tool. And I've never really liked it very much. And, you know, again, going back to Mary Beard's book and thinking about the forums, right? All of the techniques, all of the tactics were developed back then. And that's become so entrenched in, in patriarchy and how we communicate. And you know, in a um, traditional to me environment, if I was in the wrong, right, I, I 
you wouldn't be met with kindness. You'd be shut down quite quickly and put in your place. And then you'd never learn and you just feel frustrated and embarrassed and full of shame and uh, know that, you know, as opposed to actual communication where somebody understands that if they get angry with you, you're not necessarily going to learn. And if what, what they really want is understanding then the deeper work is to is to go inside and uh, you know really think uh, and have the emotional intelligence to let it go, not take it personally, even though it's incredibly personal, and instead uh, dole out kindness. Uh, and I, you know, you just that's the most perfect example, isn't it? Because then it completely changed how you went forward with your work exactly I mm -hmm. I feel like it is the reflection of a person and peoples who take a much longer perspective of things who take a much longer view of things and so they came certainly this is my experience anyway they came to me and I and I didn't realize it took me a long time to realize this with an understanding that okay here's another non-indigenous white person they're going to take time they're not going to understand us straight away they're going to be offensive they're <laughs> they're going to be blind to their own privileges and and they then would make a choice as to whether then it was worth, the relationship was worth the investment. And I had one of my mentors, he said to me once, I'd been working in and around the spaces, different spaces with Aboriginal communities for a few years by then. And his name was Sol. And he said to me, he said, Bob, are you going to, um, going to stay around? Do you think you're going to, you're going to be around for a bit? And I said, yeah. What, what do you mean? And he said, oh, it's just that, you know, a lot of people really like you and we just need to know. He was basically saying we need to know how much we're going to invest in you because he said, I just don't, I, you know, a lot of, a lot of white fellows come and go and, and it's not great for community when that happens. It's better if they get invested with somebody that you're going to be around. And that was a really important moment for me where I realized it's all about whatever I've been thinking this has been about. And I'd been working in cultural heritage and land rights and land management and all sorts of things. I thought, whatever I've thought this is about, this is about trust. This is about relationship. This is about healing a terribly deep wound in our country, one relationship at a time. And it's about me becoming worthy of being trusted. And I get emotional when I think about that because mm. I think, would I be able, would I even, if I had had my children stolen and I had had my land taken from me and my culture, people attempt to destroy my culture, would I be willing to trust? I mean... You want to be authentic. You want to be confident. You want to be engaging. You want to be strong. And you want to be visible. Welcome to Dynamic Presence. Dynamic Presence is a three-month, one-to-one coaching experience that allows you to learn, grow, and embrace the kind of presence you never thought possible in six one-hour-long sessions. We work on goal and intention setting. You'll have shadow work tailored to your specific needs and speaking and visibility training and coaching. I also give you accountability and action management while cheering you on the whole time. Are you ready to improve your speaking and leadership skills and to become more authentic? Head over to ubuskills.com and click the work with me page to learn more about how dynamic presence can change your life.
it's always going back to the, it seems very often you're going back to the indigenous communities where you're right. It's, it's, it's an understanding of time in a completely different sense and of valuing things in a completely different way. And it's so different than what we are used to in, in, you know, uh, other parts of the world. And it's staggeringly kind. <laughs> like it's when we're used to being, you know, affronted at everything. Right. And it's, it's, you know, to, to have that, I don't know if there's anything more disarming. I don't think that mean words could, you know, have the same effect, which is That's a lovely point. It's so, it is, it is disarming. It's a call to wisdom. It's mm. a call to maturity and to engagement in a very different way and a way that couches itself in an understanding of the world and your place in the world. And to me, that points to the radical importance of grounded spirituality. And we have not seen a great deal of that in Western cultures. We see a lot of escape the body spirituality or especially escape the body religion, bodies, you know, some form of sin. Let's escape and connect with spirit. And that's, that's the path to, uh, in, in, in those traditions, that would be called the path to God. And then we see in, in a lot of what I can only term as sort of white women's spirituality. I don't even know how else to describe that, but who are you say it. And I know immediately what you're talking about. (laughs) I'm also quite guilty of it and and and, you know we both are part of that tradition right Mm -hmm. and we are the descendants you know our indigeneity sits with those witches the particular witches we were talking about before of the 400 years of burning Mm -hmm. and what we're talking about the spirituality we're talking about that that came before the burning was very grounded. It was very embodied. It was very connected to nature. It wasn't. It wasn't influenced in anywhere near the same way by this desire to escape and then keep everything at a level that then can cause spiritual bypassing and a lot of other things that we see in the community. And what I see as the route back to that or the path back to that is the healing of the wounds that mm. cause us not to be in the body. Like I said to you, some of my own wounding meant that I really was, I think even Ensler has spoken about this, you know, the walking head phenomenon where the body was too dangerous. So I was just walking around with that, you know, in the head really. And So we have that on a personal level, but we also have that at a collective level where because we had this enormously traumatic years and then women's bodies then have been traumatized ever since. And by the way, prior to that as well, prior to the witch hunts. And we've we've learned to relate to our bodies as objects. We've been taught that their only value is in their objectification and the pleasure that they can provide to men our relationship to body has become so distorted and so harmful in so many ways. And we see this manifest itself. We see it in, in eating disorders and we see it in self-harm. We see it all sorts of ways that it, that it plays out, even the way what we eat, how we unconsciously consume things and put things into our bodies. And that's why the work that so many different people are doing around coming back to love the body, to nurture the body, to be embodied is so, so important. And why the understanding of the necessity to heal the collective wounding around relationship to body becomes vitally important. I often say to people, and I don't think this is a unique idea, um, but so I'm not 
claiming it as such, but I will often say that when we look at relationship to body and particularly the treatment of women's bodies, we see it mirrored in the treatment of nature. We see it mirrored in the treatment of the environment itself. And when we can, or vice versa, we look at the treatment of the land, the planet, the body of Mother Earth, and we see the same thing replicated on the body of women. And when we can heal one, we heal the other. So with the healing and the wholeness doesn't come from either just looking at what we have hitherto put in a box of that's feminist issues that relates to women and their bodies and their, you know, their in careers, etc. And then we have the environmental movement. No, these things are together. These things must be come together as one because one informs the other and perpetuates the other. And so as we learn to heal the wounding of both, we step closer to our original indigeneity as well and then we start to hear the voices of those who have never lost that wow um yeah you've just left me speechless for a minute Yeah. <laughs> it's it's almost like relearning just how to think about things and treat things and then once you do that again with with the most vulnerable let's say uh everything else changes from that, right? When you when you've redirected your thinking of what's valuable and what isn't right if we're if we're in a society that um values things and values money and and um productivity that's what's going to happen oh yeah wow um you've just left my brain spinning and i'm just noticed i've just noticed the time i'm keeping you past our allotted time but you just exploded my brain <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'll leave you sleep for hours. <laughs> I'm not sure if to apologize or to. <laughs> no, no, don't. It actually reminds me of something that I saw fleetingly, and you might have posted it on Instagram recently that, that was talking about something similar. And I remember thinking, oh, that's interesting. I need, and like, and having like a, a mental check mark. And, um, but now, now I want to go back and revisit that. And then, yes, of course. And then actually being able to hear what's been around you this entire time, but actually hear it and know your responsibility within that, as opposed to shirking it. If you don't, if you sort of, if you don't have to take it on in the sense that it doesn't affect you immediately in the moment. And then you go, oh, fuck, actually, it really does. <laughs> and it affects all of us quite immensely. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. I think you're, we sit here as a Canadian woman and Australian woman, and we are so blessed, in my opinion, to have such extraordinary First Nations peoples surrounding us, grounding our, our nations, our countries, and informing everything that we do in ways that often non-Indigenous people are not aware of or are not able to recognize, but couch our countries in such deep wisdom and history and the land itself. I feel this all the time in Australia. Uh, the land itself has benefited from years, tens and tens of thousands of years of human beings living on the land in harmony with the land. We only have in Australia a couple of hundred years of disruption to that harmony. And, and that disruption, violent and aggressive and horrific as it has been, is not the whole history of this country, isn't even close to the whole history of this country, is a speck, is like a dot in, you know, on a on a big canvas of the truth of this place and and every single person who is privileged enough to live on a on a piece of land to 
benefit from that is changed by that. And I think the humility to recognize, oh, I'm not just here as dominator, but I may be actually here in this time and place as learner, as person who who is here to receive, to learn. And when we can all come to that, we become very different nations. We interact very differently. As you say, we start to look at ways of communicating and realize there are ways of communicating that aren't that are quite different from the Western model. And there are some beautiful things about the Western model of communicating and dialoguing and exploring ideas and so on. And and I'm not one to throw everything out at all. I'm one to say, how do we weave these wisdoms together? But in order to do that, we need to become different people because we're not pulling from the best of Western philosophy in, I was going to say in every moment, in almost all moments at this particular point in time. I don't see us pulling from the best of, you know, Western philosophy. I don't see us pulling uh, from our highest and best versions of ourselves and our ancestral lineages and so forth. And when we can come back to, to doing that, we can meet all peoples of the world in a very different way. And I think that that then enables visibility in a really productive way. So we, it enables us to see us see the truth of ourselves and allow that to shine through. It allows us to meet other people who are already doing that and who uh, wouldn't think not to do that. It enables us to not just focus on how do I get other people to hear me, but how do I listen deeply? And, and the gift we always think the gift is going to come from the speaking or from the talking or from the saying something and having other people listen to us and then create influence. But actually the gift is almost always in the listening. So coming back to that, because then you speak differently, you have different conversations when you know how to listen deeply, the contribution you make is of a much higher quality. It's of a much more considered depth and that then resonates beyond just the individual conversation that you're having having it affects everybody around you and you said at the beginning I don't know if anybody does your marketing or you do it yourself or whatever one of the things that I do is do my own marketing because I want people to hear my voice, not because I think my voice is so special or important, but because I know that my voice carries a certain resonance with it and the people who need to hear or are looking to hear what I have to say need to hear it from my voice because that's the frequency I carry. And so then they they read something and they go, oh, Yes, spark. Something is sparked. (laughs) And that's what I want for every person. That's what I want is to be able to be speaking from a resonance which enables their words to land and land cleanly with the people that they're trying to reach. And in order to do that, there's all of this that we've just spoken about. There's all of this coming coming into the body, letting go of ego, letting dropping ideas about it's got to be I have to show up and speak up and and appear in a certain way dropping all of that coming becoming much more quiet and still so that when the speaking does happen the speaking matters yeah and then we make space for other people to see that and see that it's safe to do that and also be able to do that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> what, 
wonderful time I have had speaking to you today. I I knew it was going to be good, but um, I I you know in a lot of ways I think that that initial you coming across my field of vision and then whatever sparked me to go to the website and just go oh my god yes. I mean, that changed the trajectory of my life, really, truly. And 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 I would like to thank you for that, for being, you know, for for making an effort to be the best you that you can be. And because you know that that lets other people try to do that as well, right? And I sincerely appreciate that. And I've just absolutely enjoyed this conversation and learned a lot as well. And um, so thank you. Thank thank you for (laughs) inviting me. Thank you for creating a space, holding a space for this conversation to be made possible. You and I spoke before we began about where where did we think this conversation might go? And, And we were both saying we just fall into trust that they're right conversation is held and and that is that is thanks to you your willingness to hold that space to go where hopefully the audience wants to go and where what needs to be spoken in the moment and I have so much trust in that and so I really am grateful for anyone who is willing to hold space for that so thank you I'm really honored to have been here and had this conversation too. Well, I mean, if that wasn't an incredible way to start off season two, I don't know what is. I want to thank Samantha Nolan Smith once again for that incredible conversation that, you know, here in Canada, we just had our first national day of truth and reconciliation. October 4th was the day that we remember murdered and missing Indigenous women and two-spirited people. And so it's very interesting that we recorded this in the summer right around the time that it was released. There's a lot of thinking to do and a lot of action to be taken. Thank you so much for tuning in for the beginning of season two. We have wonderful things in store for you. I'm Megan Hamilton, a speaking visibility and confidence coach. All of the music that you'll find on my podcast was made by me. You can find it on iTunes and anywhere else where you like to get your music. Please go ahead and subscribe and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.